And welcome to another episode of The Bandit Room. My name is Charles. I'm joined here in the studio today by Mr. Caleb. Hello again. Aggie is out this week, but across the table from me, we have our guest today, who is Dr. Scott Huffman. Thank you for joining us, Scott. My pleasure. Happy to be here. You are the director of the Center for Public Opinion and Policy Research and a professor of political science at Winthrop University. You are also the director of the Winthrop Poll. Um, that's a lot of things for one person to do. How do you how do you do all that? Well, it, it, a lot of juggling. Yeah. Uh, I, I physically can't juggle, but uh, <laughs> you know, professionally, it, uh, it's a whole lot of juggling. It also comes in spurts. So, mm. you know, when we when we're doing polling, I have to focus entirely on that, and it, can, it comes along with scheduling classes. So, I try and make sure that I don't have an exam to grade at the same time. <laughs> I have a poll coming out. Gotcha. So, again. Um, while I am physically incapable of juggling, uh, apparently <laughs> professionally, I, I'm doing okay. So running the Winthrop poll, what's, what is that like? So it, it's not a hundred percent of your time, but, but it's a, a considerable amount. And it's, is it kind of like running a small call center? Like, how are you, how are you operating yeah, so, that? So, um, every time we do a poll, uh, a, a, we hire a little over a hundred folks. So we have a hundred employees at a, at a given time. We are the, one of the biggest hires on campus, but it's for yeah. a very short amount of time. And like, let's go back to the early 2000s when you could do a poll entirely using the phone, right? Methodologically, you can no longer do that because response rates have gone from, you know, almost 70% to about 9%. So we have to do mixed mode polling, which means to make sure we get everybody, we very often do phone polling, but in addition to online polling. So our phone polling Listen, we have people who have been through professional training. They work for, we have about 100 at a pop. Uh, they uh, go through the, the training. They, they you know, work on it. We, we try and pay, pay decent for mm-hmm. South Carolina. Um, but, you know, what happens is we end up with methodologically a representative sample of South Carolina that we know looks like the opinion of all South Carolinians. So that's that's what we try and do. So how do you weed that down? So you're looking for a sample size of a certain amount. So how do you just determine what that? Yeah, that's actually an awesome question because your typical election poll has only about four to six hundred people, hmm. right? And so that's a margin of error of five percent. So your typical election poll, you know, poll after poll after poll is going to have a margin of error of 5%, which means if the two candidates are within 5% of each other, no one's ahead. Yeah. And that's the one of the problems that the media will take and run with, oh, well, such and such is three points ahead. No, they're not. Right. It is a statistical a take. That's yeah. exactly right. Gotcha. So um, what we do, usually we try and get well over 1,000. Um, so we want a margin of error of somewhere between two and three. Uh, But if we have breakouts like we did this last time of just Republican voters who are registered to vote, uh, we had a margin of error of like 4.4%. And that, and that we were looking at, you know, do you support Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Mm -hmm. you know, Tim Scott, we, that kind of thing. But for the general polls, we're always shooting for over a thousand and we're shooting for a margin of error three percent or better and one of the the reasons we do that is 
people just tend to not care what South Carolinians think except about electoral issues. Mm-hmm. We're the first in the South primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody seems to give a flip about what the average South Carolinian thinks. And I study public opinion and, you know, and this is the kind of thing I care about. So it is actually more rare that we do only an election poll mm. rather than a general South Carolina poll. And I also teach Southern politics, so I do a Southwide poll. The 11 states that seceded is what I define as the South. No, I'm not going to include Oklahoma. No, I'm not going to include West Virginia. Okay. Uh, but uh, So I, I do that as well. So our polls kind of alternate between South Carolina only, the entire South, and sometimes we focus specifically on elections. Uh, so far, we've had you know 100% accuracy. We've been off by you know how much mm-hmm. the win was, but that's just a matter of time before in a close mm-hmm. race we're wrong. Gotcha. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Now you talk about specializing in Southern politics. You're also a Fulbright scholar. We didn't mention that earlier. Um, so you were a Fulbright scholar. You lived and taught in Hungary for mm-hmm. a period of time. And you were teaching Southern politics to yeah, that Hungarian was, students? That was absolutely one of the best experiences of my life. My entire family, we moved over to Hungary. We lived in Debrecen, Hungary, which is the second largest city behind uh, Budapest uh, in, in Hungary. And I taught at um, Debrecen University. Uh, and one of the classes I taught was Southern politics. Hmm. And they have, that is one of the few places, or there's actually three, so I guess not few, hmm. that you can get a PhD in American studies in, in Hungary. And I taught, obviously it was in English. My, my Hungarian is restricted to saying I cannot speak Hungarian and how to ask for a beer. And that is the 100% <laughs> limit of my Hungarian. Um, be uh, polite and ask for a yeah, beer. Can I May I please have a beer? There you go. That, there, that's it. And uh, so all the students, of course, spoke English, mm-hmm. and uh, they were in a department of English and American Studies. And I got to teach Southern politics to a group of people who weren't Southern. Normally, I teach Southern politics to folks who are ninety percent from the region. Mm-hmm. And it really gave me an amazing perspective on, okay, this is really like comparative politics. It's not like American politics and a subsample of American politics. It's more like comparing Asia to you know Central Europe, mm-hmm. uh, comparing Southern politics to regular <laughs> American politics. It is it its own entity whatsoever. Huh. And of course, our our children. We lived over there. Our children were ten at the time. Yeah. Um, they're uh, I have twins. They're twenty three now. Oh, wow. And uh, and so I would have to come home uh, uh, after teaching every day and. Um, I was in charge of math and science yeah. for the girls. It was their fourth grade year and, oh, uh, and come home and do that. That was a, a fascinating time. And it really, I think, helped me be better about what Southerners learning about Southern politics should actually be experienced. Mm. Interesting. Mm. What did you find were some of the biggest differences between your students in, uh, say, Central Europe compared to your students at Winthrop? Well, okay, first off, the very first day, I, I went up to the, the board and, uh, and wrote Y apostrophe A-L-L. 
hmm. and said, this is the word y'all. Um, <laughs> let me explain what it means. And I am going to accidentally say this all the time. And so I need you to understand what it is. Um, <laughs> day one. It's what you got day to one. I, just so, you know, and, you know, it's sort of, I also have to explain again, being a native Southerner, <laughs> O-U-R-A-R-E and the letter R. Or R R R. So I, it, it took a little bit, and of course, they mostly are used to British English. Mm, gotcha. So no kidding, I really had to do a little bit of early translation. <laughs> um, but w- what I found is there is uh, an entirely different set of expectations uh, with regard to university students over there. It's there is both much higher expectations of when you're doing your best. And among the bottom students, there is an expectation of, well, let's just let them through, which I apparently didn't learn. Uh, and so I failed some students and that, that was like, oh, we generally don't fail students. We just let them through with the lowest. Oh, level. And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, that sucks to be them. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Interesting. Do you notice some similarities? Uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the difference with, Hungary and the rest of Europe, uh, they've kind of gone a little bit more nationalistic in recent years, whereas yeah. the southern bit of America you know, may, might be more sympathetic to a certain type of nationalism here in America. Right. Um, uh, and it's, it, it, I mean, you've, you've, you've hit multiple nails on the head <laughs> there. Uh, let's start with just the imagined history. Yeah. So in the, the American South, there's this oh, you know, we've been put upon, oh, the great lost cause, all this. And I teach Southern politics, and let me tell you, the Civil War was about slavery. Right. No, it was about the economy. Yeah, the economy was based on slavery. Yeah. Oh, it was about states' rights. Yes, the states' rights to have slavery, um, period. Yeah. Um, so there's this imagined history. Well, Hungarians, if you talk to a Hungarian for at least 30 minutes, they will eventually mention the Battle of Mohach in 1536. Hmm. That's how far and angry they go back. So they have been a people who have been overrun, re-overrun, got their their land back, re-overrun, part of the Austria-Hungarian Empire (laughs) on the wrong side of a couple of world wars. Um, and so what you see is people who believe in the narrative of the old South mm-hmm. and people who believe in the narrative of the, the, the pristine Hungary who mm-hmm. was only done wrong by others, frighteningly similar. Interesting. Um, and so again, you know, the patching together a real history of Hungary and imagined history of the South was how I argued to the Fulbright folks. You know, somebody needs to teach this huh. over there. So you were seeing uh, the nationalistic tendencies back then in 2009. Is that when it was? When you yes. Were there? Yeah. Well, and that was so at the time, the uh, party that was losing power was losing power because of corruption. And Fidesz, the, the current party in power, was moving up and it was they were winning. Then mm-hmm. they moved further and further to the right in Hungary mm-hmm. and uh, including in uh bringing in a group called Jobbik, right hand, mm. and uh, and they are borderline fascist. Mm. And so at the time, the Fidesz had not taken over yet, and I attended, uh, not attended, I sat on the edge of mm. several protests and were able to watch mm. uh, what was going on. 
and this degree of nationalism that is being spurred and hungry and the government taking over the media mm. and the government pushing this narrative of hungry for Hungarians mm. and anti, you know, anybody mm. coming in, which, of course, sidebar is ironic because the true history of Hungary, they were invaded mm got their land back, invaded, got their land back, invaded, got their hand, <laughs> land back. So there is no such thing as a genetically <laughs> true <laughs> Hungarian <laughs> person. But that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. And so you compare that now within America, Christian nationalism, yeah. people mm-hmm. who say, oh, you can't actually truly be an American unless you're Christian, or mm-hmm. America should declare itself a Christian nation. And there are parallels that are going on. And as a matter of fact, Tucker Carlson from Fox News, who was just fired from Fox News, right. um, you know, once he started going down that Christian nationalist route, one of the first things he did was go and talk to the the prime minister of Hungary, right. um, who right. had you know been moving further and further to the right. Hmm. And so there are unfortunately a lot of parallels. Hmm. And if you have any Hungarians uh, listening, there will argue with literally everything I say uh, <laughs> because they are very particular about their history. But yeah. that is generally an accurate description right wow that's interesting well there's a lot of similarities there especially when you refer to the whole uh there's no native hungarian true native hungarians just like they're not too many genetically Uh, no yeah and what i mean what does it mean to be an american it means you know right and in this day and age technically to be an american uh, are you Native American? Then no, (laughs) (laughs) genetically you're, you're an immigrant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, that's wild. So you covered a lot of that particular topic when you get into the subject of Christian nationalism a bit in the, uh, the recent Winthrop Mm -hmm. poll to some degree, uh, when you got into the whole, uh, separation of church and state, it looked like I was, I was, I was looking at the recent results that you, you put forward and, uh, you know, most people think of South Carolina as being, a pretty deep red state, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of your a lot of that bear is bared out in the the poll. But um, there were some areas where it, it, it was surprising nuance uh, to the results. Uh, but <laughs> Christian nationalism not exactly nuance. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about that. But then let's get into the nuance. So uh, what were the results? It was almost fifty fifty. I would say that that people were saying that they should practically declare. America is a Christian nation. It, it was it was kind of a toss up. It, if you com- if you look at all of those Christian nationalist questions combined, mm-hmm. yeah. then it's really less than a third that is hardcore Christian nationalist. Yeah. It depends on the the nature of the question, really. Mm-hmm. And okay. so you kind of have to. We create a scale, an mm-hmm. additive scale, adding all those together. And the people who are the most hardcore are. Fortunately, a minority, mm-hmm. um, and I say fortunately because I went to James Madison University as an undergrad. I'm a huge yeah. fan of James Madison, who wrote Memorial and Remonstrance about telling us the dangers of the government being entwined with religion. Yeah. So, uh, which is interesting, the the sort of cognitive dissonance that happens with the same people who may idolize the founders and then also say that we should be a Christian country. Well. Again, um, you know, one of the the questions you know you've you've put forward is you know things that you're an expert on, things that you're not. One of the things that uh, I'm an expert on, which drives me up the wall, is <laughs> I teach, I study the Constitution, yeah. and the number of people who say, "Well, I am firmly behind the Constitution. I believe X." I'm like, I. 
I'll take things you haven't read for a thousand hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, recently, back to the poll here, you cover a lot of things, uh, separation of church and state, uh, favorable candidates, uh, South Carolina's attitudes towards certain, uh, you could call them vices, whether they're <laughs> marijuana or gambling. Yeah. Uh, and let me, and let me go back to yeah. something you, you, you alluded to earlier. Sure. Uh, you know, we are still a deep red state. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, President Biden's approval rating is 10 points lower here than it is in 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 any national poll. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact is, you know, the things that are preying on South Carolinians' minds, medical marijuana is not one of them. They they just don't care. They're okay with it being legalized. So you look at our poll and you see, okay, um, here's a, a group of people who are not in favor of President Joe Biden. They don't like him. They like him even less than nationally. But then all of a sudden... Wait a minute, they're okay with medical marijuana? Why, yes. As yeah. a matter of fact, yeah. they are. They are not clamoring for it. They just don't care. Right. And, and about half are okay with sports gambling, although I, I have a weird prediction that probably based on who donates to whom, hmm. we may end up with sports gambling before we wind up with legal medical <laughs> marijuana. Interesting. Um, uh, although I will say the one um, state senator who keeps putting it forward about medical marijuana huh. is uh, edibles only. So okay. you won't have to walk through a cloud of smoke. We'll <laughs> we'll be dignified about the marijuana use in the South. <laughs> right. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, some other... Uh, areas that you found were uh, particularly nuanced opinions of South Carolina. And you, at the Winthrop Poll, you only study South Carolina. Is that right? Or do you do broader polls? No, we do uh, occasionally the 11 states South. And by okay. 11 states South, I mean the 11 states that seceded. So, I mean, you, you have to decide what is the South. And you could say, where does kudzu grow? Where does it? And so there are some, some entities that say, okay, well, we'll include West Virginia. Well, technically West Virginia exists because they wouldn't secede. Mm. Uh, and we include Oklahoma because there's a no, Oklahoma didn't secede. Mm. So I do, because I teach Southern politics um, and I created and run the Winthrop Bowl, yes, I occasionally do Southwide just because it fascinates me and there are things, but mostly it's South Carolina because nobody is measuring the opinions of South Carolinians. Usually if a poll does South Carolina, it is only with relation to an election. Uh, it is only registered voters, often registered voters who are going to vote in a certain primary, and then we get ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years with the Winthrop poll, I've tried to bring attention to things. For example, I've done uh, food insecurity mm-hmm. in the past. Uh, you know, uh, in the past, we've seen one out of five people were worried about whether or not they could put food on their table for their families. So we do primarily focus on South Carolina. We're a public institution at Winthrop University, and I work for a public institution, and I serve South Carolina. It is my opinion that the number one thing I should be doing is trying to let folks know what real South Carolina is, not hyper-partisan, hmm. not one party or the other, but what real South Carolinians are concerned about. So the majority of our polls are South Carolina only. There's sometimes the entire South. And because to keep my masters happy, uh, I need to be in the press a little bit. Every once in a while, we will do an election related mm-hmm. poll. And yeah. that, of course, is my least favorite thing to do. Oh, <laughs> is that right? So, why is that? What is, yeah. is it just because it's just in the news all the time? It's sort of the, the well, it's, thing that's I talked mean, about. For one thing, it, it's 
ephemeral. It mm-hmm. it's there and then it disappears, and it, sure. it, yeah. it it only matters a little bit. We were yeah. in um, the previous presidential cycle. We were listed as one of the debate mm-hmm. polls. Like if you got a certain level in the Winthrop poll mm-hmm. or the CNN poll or the Fox poll, you were allowed to participate in a debate. Mm-hmm. Or not, so our methodology has been vetted. It was obviously, you know, vetted by the the, the highest folks around. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as that passes, all we've learned is who cares about this election, how they're going to do, and things change next week. And you know what we haven't learned? What real South Carolinians need, mm-hmm. what they're worried about, mm-hmm. what they're doing. Now again. Doing these things occasionally keeps us in the news, and you know, keeping us in the news is something that hopefully will keep my budget flowing. Right. Uh, because you know, we don't take partisan clients, we won't take parties, we won't take candidates. We've been asked, mm-hmm. um, so you know, we, we're turning down money left and right uh, <laughs> in order to keep our our neutral status. So we have to get in the news, but that is so unimportant in the greater scheme of things when you think about what is the average South Carolinian worried about? Uh, are they worried about the Charleston loophole for gun control? We're going to ask about that in the next poll. Um, how do they feel about abortion in the, the wake of the Dobbs decision? I mean, th- these are the things we like to dive into that you just can't do with right. an election poll. Getting to more of the real issues, I guess, than who's your favorite person right now right and then and that's basically it who is your favorite person today Today. yeah right yeah and so so, you know in our in our last poll we did a breakout we had a large enough sample to do a breakout of uh republican primary voters like republicans who are registered to vote who Mm -hmm. self-identify as republican because we don't register by party in south carolina um and you know, there was a whole lot of noise around that, and it was a margin of error 4.4%. So it was, you know, within the margin of error, what you're going to see with the general election poll. Uh, a whole lot of uh, noise around that, and a heck of a lot less noise around our 2.4% margin of error about what <laughs> South Carolinians really deeply care about. With the exception of apparently there are more publications that care about marijuana than I have ever <laughs> understood in my life that retweeted our results. Oh, gotcha. Um, holy bajolies. I had no <laughs> so idea. Funny. Other than that, yeah. um, we're trying to make sure that the average South Carolinian has their voice heard. That's awesome. Even though, you know, you don't like election things should oh, we yeah. should we uh bother you about that a little no, bit just because a- absolutely and that's totally fair so um you know obviously trump is the front runner mm-hmm. on the republican side yeah. um and he doubled up his uh you know the, his second place in south carolina in our poll mm-hmm. uh, the interesting thing is his son's second wife mistress uh, I, I often narrow it down, <laughs> retweeted the results of our poll about how far ahead he was. Oh. But nationally, you know, he was at the time, he was at 53 and he was only at 41 in our poll, but he had more than doubled up. Ron DeSantis was at 20 and Nikki Haley was at 18. So Nikki Haley and, and Ron DeSantis were statistically tied yeah. in ours. And this is obviously before she fully got in. And, you know, Tim Scott was still single digits, but he was more than tripling what he got nationally. And that was before he 
chose to uh, officially, hmm. quasi-officially jump in. He yeah. jumped in and said, I've got a committee studying yeah, it. We, yeah, exploratory. We know how that goes. So the fascinating thing with the election in South Carolina, we are the first in the South primary. Now, for the Democrats, they've tried to move us to the literal first primary. Mm. That's going to be a problem because New Hampshire has a literal law saying they have to be the first in the nation. (laughs) So that's but no one cares about the Democratic presidential primary this time because Biden is officially running. So on the Republican side. It is set in stone already, We are, mm-hmm. but we are the first in the South. And that's important. We're actually stunningly important for both parties because yeah. for the Democrats, Iowa, mm-hmm. 97% white. Yeah. I mean, you know, New Hampshire, overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm. In South Carolina, for the Democrats, we're the first test of, of African-American support. Mm-hmm. So we are a big deal for the Democrats. But we're a huge deal for the Republicans as well because Iowa's a caucus, and caucuses are crazy mm-hmm. and should you, you should have an <laughs> entire podcast just on the insanity of caucuses. <laughs> and New Hampshire, that's a certain flavor of conservatism. And come to South Carolina, we are every flavor of conservatism. And if a Republican can sweep the 11 states south mm. in the general election— mm then they need less than 30% of all other electoral college votes to win the presidency. So if you're the type of Republican who can win in South Carolina, you're the type of Republican who can win nationally. Hmm. So here we have, you know, Donald Trump, former president, doubling up. But will that erode, especially once Nikki Haley jumps in? And the interesting thing will be, Look, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are going to play nice, mm-hmm. um, but behind the scenes, there's going to be some battles for funding mm. and endorsements yeah. mm-hmm. that will be, as an observer, fun to watch. I'm sure as somebody on one of their teams, not so, so much fun. <laughs> yeah, That's interesting. What, what struck me about your recent result is that obviously Donald Trump is still leading among uh, voters in, in South Carolina, but he also has a net unfavorable rating right now uh in your poll so you had you had whether you were favorable or unfavorable or what was it very right good. but among uh republicans yeah. self-identified republicans yeah. he has an incredibly if you combine somewhat and very favorable uh-huh. his is within one point of nikki haley's it's like 73 and 74 among republicans Interesting. so he has an incredibly high favorability rating among his base the question is what are the moderates going to do? Yeah. Right. And where will they go? And more importantly, if in the general election, you know, we have an extremist like, mm-hmm. you know, a former President Trump, and it, what are those moderates going to do? Mm-hmm. And if they show up or not, look, we're probably going to go red in 2024, yeah. but it's the down ticket races mm-hmm. that actually can make a difference. Is, you know, for the Democrats, they need to excite folks so that they can win the down ticket races and get them to turn out even though they know they're you know biden's not going to win south carolina but if you know they just sort of give up on it then you're going to end up seeing a huge sweep and in south carolina gerrymandering is incredibly bad gerrymandering is redrawing of of district lines to help one party versus another Mm -hmm. so uh very often in the state house uh, you know, so we have what uh, forty six uh, Senate mm-hmm. districts and what one hundred and twenty four House districts. Very often in the House, 
70 or more go uncontested. Hmm. That's how gerrymandered they are. So <laughs> if you win your party's primary, yeah. you've won the election. So when it comes to firing people up, the Democratic Party needs to figure out how they're going to do that. And, of course, the Republican Party needs to keep the status quo as they are. So the election coming up is less about, in South Carolina, less about who's going to win the presidency and more about turnout for the down-ticket races. That's interesting. Wow. Now, in the recent poll, you said Nikki Haley wasn't fully uh, running at that point when you were conducting that. But even with that, you know, she wasn't getting more than, what was it, 20%? 18 18%. 18%. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And Tim Scott was around 7 mm-hmm. somewhere in that neighborhood. So both so Tim Scott was tripling up his support nationally, and Nikki Haley was more than quadrupling her support nationally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it depends on how, how you want to spin that. If you're Nikki Haley's people, you're spinning it as she was quadrupling her support right. nationally. Um, if you're Donald Trump's people, you're saying in her home state, right. she had less than half yeah. of what the former president Donald Trump had. Right. Which is interesting to see, uh, depending on how many people get in the race. Last time there were so many people running, uh, Donald Trump never, I don't believe he ever got more than like 50% no, in, because in, there were so many, in cut 20, so many leading up to the 2016, uh, presidential election in 2015, there was simply, it was fate accompli. There was yeah. no, no, argument Jeb Bush was going to be the Republican nominee for president and he was probably going to win. Mm -hmm. Didn't work out that way. (laughs) Um, So again, the question becomes, do we have a Trump and not Trump supporter Mm -hmm. or do we have a Trump vote that's split between Trump and DeSantis who is trying to run as Trump without the baggage Mm -hmm. Or do we simply have it's either Trump or someone else and everybody else is splitting it up? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it, when it comes to, although the Republican primaries tend to be winner take all, mm-hmm. meaning where there's Democratic primaries, it's more proportional. Like, mm-hmm. so if you get two thirds of the vote, you get two thirds of the delegates. The right, delegates. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the question becomes, you know, are we going to, vote for the Trump or a not Trump. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that people are trying to puzzle out that I think come fall, uh, we'll see a little bit of sorting because Ron DeSantis is his number one challenger at this point, Mm -hmm. um, has already had some stumbles and he is not even officially in the race. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see how quickly people start endorsing other people or how quickly people end up getting out of the race. Or in South Carolina's case, how long they hold back mm. uh, because of Haley and Tim Scott. Mm. Uh, both are incredibly popular. Tim Scott is almost always the most popular Republican, second to Haley, mm. or you know, either Haley's ahead or Haley's just slightly behind among Republicans. Mm. So the endorsement race is going to be mm. sorry, you know, on the top, they're not going to go after each other. Mm-hmm. The it, it, the top of the lake will look just nice and smooth, <laughs> but there will be churning water underneath, mm. and it'll be fun for a political scientist to watch. I don't yeah. know; it's fun for a citizen yeah. to to be part of. <laughs> Express Tax Exempt is now Tax990.com. We changed our name to make it even easier to recognize us, but everything you know and love about Express Tax Exempt is still here. Tax990.com still provides you with easy Form 990 filing, 
free schedules, great customer support, and much more. Learn more at tax990.com. And we're back, enjoying a little of the Balvin, Balvini, Balvini, Balvini. I'm sorry. Here, <laughs> there you go. It's a double wood, twelve years scotch. It is. Uh, Cheers, gentlemen. One what of my favorites. The, Cheers. I, I guess I go to. That's nice. Oh yeah, double wood. I, I can I can taste it. Yeah, I can taste the wood. Recent news: there were some changes in staff at both Fox News and CNN. Uh, Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon out the door. What do you what do you make of that initially? Well, first off, the the, the coincidence of yeah. both being like on the same day. <laughs> same day. There's, well, I, I mean, that couldn't have been coordinated in any way. Of course not. Yeah. But, um, well, I do teach you know statistical methods, so one of the things we talk about is probability. Yeah, um, is it possible? It randomly happened on the same day. It's technically possible. <laughs> <laughs> is it probable? No, I mean, this was truly something fascinating. And Don Lemon has, you know, on CNN, he's been getting a good bit of anger. But most recently, his his biggest uh, uh, flub was he referred to Nikki Haley uh, as past her prime. Right. Um, Did he say women above 40 or past her prime? Yeah, it was absolutely so as, you know misogynistic it was ageist it was you know again you know here's a guy who i assume is in president biden's corner who is six seven hundred years old and you know and he's bashing nikki haley for being quote unquote past <laughs> right, right so i assume that had something to do with it and then of course on the the other side tucker carlson um we saw in the nearly Billion dollar settlement, wasn't it? Seven yeah, hundred, yeah, almost a billion dollars. Yeah, three, yeah um, that he a was one of the elitists that he railed against. He he hated Trump. He mm-hmm. thought Trump was lying about things, but he was also pushing some very white supremacist ideas, the Great Replacement theory, other mm. things like that. And Fox News is inherently conservative, and by that I mean old school traditional conservative they want low taxes on business they want little regulation Mm -hmm. they don't have a lot of tolerance for things that bring down the the amount of money you're bringing in and we saw in some of those um, affidavits the fact that people were pulling their advertising from tucker carlson's show Mm -hmm. so again this slot is the magical thing. Hmm. Now, Tucker Carlson is certainly going to land on his feet. The mm-hmm. question is, is it, you know, what is it, OANN, One America, or right. you know, Newsmax, or, you know, Not like... For people uh, floating the idea, do you think he'd become a candidate himself? He'll start polling... Well, you <laughs> know, the problem the- with being a candidate is you don't make millions of dollars. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so he has been a pundit on everything from... CNN, MSNBC, PBS, mm-hmm. and Fox News. And he changed his the tenor of what he did to match each one of those. Mm. So this is somebody who is a, a creature of the media. Um, if he ends up running for office, it will be because 
he has fundamentally changed who he is. Hmm. He is a media pundit extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. Um, The only failing he's ever had was when Jon Stewart went on CNN Crossfire (laughs) Crossfire. (laughs) um, and, uh, and made fun of him and, other than that, he has been winning mm-hmm. um, until this most recent when he was not fired, certainly not, when he resigned mm. instantaneously. <laughs> <laughs> right after the almost billion-dollar settlement. Right. So. Is there anything talk if there's some uh, impropriety allegations? Uh, there, the there, is that, that is, is that... not the only lawsuit that Fox News is facing. Fox News is facing mm. from another uh, uh, voting you know, not just Dominion, but another voting thing, but also by somebody who worked on Tucker Carlson's show, mm. who she says it was a cesspool of toxic masculinity, uh, sexism, um, and uh, a horrible place to work. So again, if what he was doing exposed them mm. to a nearly billion dollar settlement, and there are still more <laughs> still lawsuits, lawsuits to come, coming. Um, that may explain a little bit of the we're we're gonna part ways. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's interesting the way um, the way news is. We kind of just accept it uh, that news is practically partisan these days. You go to the news that fits your particular preference. Um, People live in silos. Yeah, and it's I mean you can curate your news feed with who you're following on Twitter, who you're following on Facebook. Um, you know, very few people are still watching the 6.30, whatever. And I say 6.30 because mm-hmm. I don't watch the <laughs> right. TV news. The anymore. nightly news. I assume yeah. um, that's about the time it is. And so people end up only getting information that reinforces their core beliefs, which makes them resistant to actual factual information that goes against their core beliefs. As a matter of fact, there is, it's been proven in experiments it's called the backfire effect. If you hardcore believe A over B, then getting information that B is true does not necessarily change your mind mm. if you're a super strong partisan. Yeah. And getting two, three, four, five pieces of information that say B is true actually causes you to double down saying A wow. is true. And mm. so there have, there have been experiments that have done this. And the fact that we are now curating our news feed so that we are only getting siloed information about what we agree with is contributing to the polarization in our country. Absolutely. Interesting. Wow. What do you, what do you get for news? Um, I, a lot of it on Twitter, but the thing is on Twitter, I follow only news entities, you mm-hmm. know, for AP, Reuters, uh, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, you know, so basically almost all of my Twitter feed is news. And of course, mm-hmm. I have a subscription to the uh, Washington Post and the New York Times, and I uh, clear my browser cache mm-hmm. and go check out the state and the post and courier gotcha. <laughs> uh hopefully none of them are listening gotcha. <laughs> um but uh so you know I, I would technically be somebody who if you asked me on a survey uh do you get most of your news from you know social media mm-hmm. technically that's true but the social media I follow are legitimate news sources yeah um, and so I am the exception, not the rule. The rule is if you get most of your news from social media, mm-hmm. you get it highly curated. Right. With just 
similar people to your own beliefs. Right. So in mm-hmm. your case, you'd say you've knowingly curated a list of, of news organizations that you, you've sort of vetted and trust rather than Absolutely, uh, yeah. influencers. Le- yeah, legitimate news organizations and, yeah. and legitimate scholars. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how would you recommend to somebody who's wanting to kind of get a more balanced view at the moment to do like what would you recommend someone to do to get better news um first and foremost you got to start going to reuters you need to go to um uh, associated press you need to go to afp i mean you've got to get the the news services that have absolutely no skin in the game Mm. whatsoever and then, you know, when you go to a Washington Post and New York Times, stay at first until you know what you feel and believe. Stay away from the opinion sections. In fact, even stay away from the analysis. Anything that says analysis. Mm-hmm. Only go with what is actually reporting what is happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the bias in that, and there is bias, but the bias tends to be in what is chosen to be covered not we're going to put a left slant or a right slant on it mm-hmm. there is there's always bias so the there's a bias in what is being covered absolutely but you can go to legitimate sources like Washington Post New York Times you know the the state newspaper the post and courier but i would absolutely start with Reuters Associated Press AFP awesome and do you find that with your students, uh, are they coming into college with their own sort of catechized, mm. they've already sort of formed their opinion on, on how they're going to view uh, events? Or, or do, do you notice that you know kids are still kind of being formed at that age and they're still kind of uh, deciding, I don't know, how they're going to see the world, essentially? Well, okay, so in, in the past, the number one predictor of what your partisanship would be was your parents' partisanship. That is no longer necessarily true. Um, With generational change, it's much more up in the air. So the students we see coming in tend to be forming their own opinions. But the problem is the lack of information. They are not going out and seeking information. They are on TikTok. They're on Twitter with highly curated feeds, none of which are (laughs) news feeds. Right. Um, It's a... I would make a pop reference here if I knew one enough. Uh, that's, they're following ex-famous person. Right, and, right, and, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're coming in without the, the level of information and obsession that uh, certainly I came into college with. Um, however, they are much more savvy. Mm. Um, they, these are not idiots. Uh, these are incredibly intelligent uh, people who can actually suss out, if you require it in a class, suss out good information versus bad information. Um, but the ones I get are more likely to be political science majors. Mm-hmm. So I really can't tell you what you know an art major uh, may do. They, they may not be as sophisticated in sussing out what is legitimate and not legitimate in a newsfeed. Okay, mm. very good. Here comes the lightning round, or, or speed round, Fa- faster round. Anyway, we're going to ask the guest a bunch of quicker questions. Here we go. What is something that you would say you spend too much money on? Flashlights. Flashlights? Absolutely. <laughs> Always prepared. Were you in the Boy Scouts? I was absolutely not in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> I, I, here's a weird thing. I grew up Southern Baptist, so... Uh-huh. 
at the time in the 70s and 80s, um, Boy Scouts were considered a Catholic thing, weirdly. So we had Royal Ambassadors, which was a complete ripoff of uh, of the Boy Scouts. Um, But this is, I have an insanely bright flashlight on my keychain, and I have, I am never further than two flashlights to six flashlights anywhere in my house. And some of them can cast can throw a specific beam more than a third of a mile. Wow. Um, so I nice. um, that is have... something weird that I am a, a little bit of sp- probably spend too much money on. Hopefully my wife won't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Did you have a traumatic experience? Were you in complete darkness at one point in your life? Uh, that is actually uh, – I have never thought about that until now. I am blind out of one eye. I poked oh. one eye out when I was oh 12th in an accident. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I've never thought about it that way. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, my gosh. Now now I'm going to have to go get a therapist and no, figure no, out if, no if need that's to why I... <laughs> no need to now. You figured it out. When you were growing up, what was your dream job? And is any part of that still true? I, I grew up watching um, L.A. Law. Uh, and, you know, in law, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I was in um, <laughs> forensics, which is not the study of dead people. Uh, in high school, it's speech and debate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, I did extemporaneous speaking where we'd be given a topic and we'd have, we had to keep a, a, a giant folder. And this is pre-internet mm. of you know, things like U.S. News and World Report, Time Magazine, Newsweek. And, they, and so we would have to come up with a speech in 30 minutes mm. as a five to seven minute speech. And so I always thought, okay, this is, you know, th- I'm going to end up doing, becoming a lawyer <laughs> and I'm going to make the most amazing closing arguments because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing speech and debate and, uh, and no, I, you couldn't pay me to be a lawyer. And although <laughs> bringing in information to explain a concept so that people understand it, that that's part of what I do. Yeah. Nice. That's so funny. We had, um, John Gettys in here literally yesterday asking him the same question he, of course, wanted to be a lawyer from, uh, this, from the beginning. But he also mentioned L.A. Law. Yeah. Funny enough. Well, yeah, we're close to the things. same age. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, who would you say is your role model? Oh, that one's easy. My dad. Um, so my father was, uh, you know, and he's the silent generation. And he ended up only going to a one-room schoolhouse that went through the equivalent of, I think, seventh or eighth grade. Um, he fought in the Korean War. He got his equivalent of a GED eventually. Um, and he started with a tiny little company called Advance Auto Parts hmm. um, right out of the Korean War and worked his way up from a part-time salesman and battery changer mm-hmm. to the vice president of uh, real estate. And what he would wow. do is before the internet, he would, whenever they were going to put in a store, he would go drive the neighborhoods near where they wanted and see where there were oil stains oh. because those are the kind of people who would go to Advance Auto Parts <laughs> who would change their own oil. Nice. And he helped uh, Advance Auto Parts grow from, you know, 50-odd stores to thousands of stores, which got them bought out and taken over nationally. Wow. And uh, so here's a man who, you know, he has uh, 
a son who's a neurosurgeon, a son who's a professor, um, and he never finished seventh or eighth grade, and, mm. but he's the most well-read man I've ever mm. met in my life. Wow. Um, and he was an honorable husband uh, until my mom died and the best human being I could have ever hoped to meet. Wow, what Great. a story. If you had a TV show or a movie about your life, what actor would play you? <laughs> well, I hope we can go back in time because <laughs> I'm going with... Sure. Uh, Cary Grant. Oh, nice. From uh, the, uh, you know, his movies like North by Northwest, mm -hmm. where he starts off very snarky and uh, things just don't seem to go right for him. <laughs> or uh, his, um, his, his other uh, movie, Notorious, where again, he's a little intense, but he would uh, have to have a beard. Uh, and I don't know how how <laughs> Cary Grant would would look in a a, a beard. You know, but I, mean, I would just, go Cary. I mean, to be realistic, it'd be more like Don Knotts, uh, Barney <laughs> Fife, realistically. But you know, I, I could hope for Cary Grant. Oh, I I'm going to get Don Knotts. Yeah, <laughs> Cary Grant could totally pull off a beard. I think he just wouldn't have it in the time. Yeah, I can't picture it, but yeah, like I also can kind of. Yeah, so that's funny. Yeah. What's the worst advice you've ever received? And, oh, that's the second part. And what would you give, like, as better advice? The the worst advice I ever received was be yourself. No. And people will like you. <laughs> that is absolutely horrible advice. Um, people are going to like you if you are a likable person. Yeah. Um, you need to be engaged in what they're saying, what they're doing. You need to be interested in what they're doing. Right. Um, if the only thing you do is, hey, here's me, here's what I'm interested in, shouldn't <laughs> you, you know, fall down and worship me, and then you are not going to be liked. Yeah. Um, so the best advice is, you know, be genuine. Yeah. You know, don't try and be fake because right. you're going to fail inherently there. But be the kind of person who other folks want to interact with. Be engaged with them. Be interested in what they're saying. Don't just sit and wait your turn to talk. Yeah. Engage what they're saying. So the absolute worst advice I ever, be yourself. People are like, no. Be a good person. Nice. Be nice. likable and people will like you. What's something in your industry that you consider underrated? Uh, actual knowledge of the Constitution. Mm. Um, it's uh, and maybe that's not within my industry, but uh, it's something we have that we get argued with uh, by the general public. I mean, we have so many entities. You see, sheriffs saying, "I, I'm, I will refuse to enforce these laws." Like that's literally not how the Constitution. That's <laughs> literally not how law works. Um, so. One of the things I think is underrated is our understanding of the nuance, and it is nuanced, of the Constitution and people who think it's black and white. And usually if they think it's black and white, they're the wrong color. They're, uh, they're completely misunderstanding what the Constitution said because mm -hmm. they are twisting it mm -hmm. to what their personal preferences are. Yeah. And if – let me give – folks a piece of advice if you think the constitution always agrees with your preferences you're misunderstanding the constitution <laughs> what's one thing outside of what you already do that you'd love to be an expert at probably fly fishing um nice. i enjoy fly fishing but i would always go with a, a friend of mine I haven't gone in a couple of years and i would rely on on him to 
tie, he would do this mm. thing where you'd tie a dry fly and then below that a wet fly. So, mm. And I couldn't do that. And you could always get a strike that way. And he would understand where the, you know, a river bends and where it would it sort of thing. And that's something I've done mm-hmm. that I think I could be better at mm-hmm. that I would like to do. I mean, you know, I, I watch videos of woodwork. I'm never going to do woodwork. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, that's just beyond me. <laughs> but I have been fly fishing. I enjoy fly fishing. I could be better at it. Um, and I would really love to to learn more about the art mm-hmm. and the magic of mm-hmm. fly fishing. And it really is. It's it's art and magic. And finally, um, if you could meet anyone past or present, who would it be? Um, I, I easily have two. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, of course, James Madison, mm-hmm. the father of the Constitution. Um, uh, you know, again, the... The idea of Christian nationalism would offend James Madison to no end. Mm-hmm. He wrote uh, Memorial and Remonstrance, and anybody who reads that understands that the father of the Constitution thought that um, a government-backed religion was the worst thing that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. However, he wanted to get the Constitution through, so he was sort of against a Bill of Rights initially, but then as soon as... Uh, you know, the Constitution was uh, ratified, he was tasked with writing the Bill of Rights. So Jimmy, little Jimmy, he's five foot four. What exactly does a well-regulated militia mean? Oh, yes. uh, so, um, you know, and so again, I would love to, and the other, of course, is J.R.R. Tolkien. I am oh, nice. a, a, an yeah, yeah. obsessed with Lord of the Rings. I'm teaching a class next semester on political philosophy and Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Um, because, again, J.R. Tolkien was a conservative Catholic, um, but he was also anti-industrialist and, mm-hmm. you know, pro-environmentalist. And there's so much complexity. So mm-hmm. um, that would be my other, uh, if I if I could have a, a chat. And maybe uh, uh, he was a smoker, so maybe share a pipe, I yeah, guess. Yeah, nice. You alluded to an accident. When you were younger, mm-hmm. um, what are you comfortable talking about? Sure. That? What what happened? Um, so uh, I, you know, I was hanging out with my uh, my best friend um, at the time, um, and uh, we were climbing trees as one does yeah. when you're 12 years old. And uh, I jumped up to grab a tree limb, and it had the tree had apparently been planted. Back when there was, you know, those uh, flags that people stick in the ground and have a little metal wire on them. Okay. Well, this had the tree had grown up, and that was the metal wire was pointing down oh. from a limb. Well, and so I thought, oh well, I can, I'll just push that out of the way and jump mm. up and grab the tree limb. Well, that metal wire, which was embedded in the tree limb, went through the inner corner of my eye, scraping the Ooh. orbital socket. And completely severed the optic nerve. Oh my god! So wow. it's it's still my real eye, but it wow. literally does not connect to my brain. Oh, okay. um, wow. which is uh, why you know I just bought a new car for the first time in you know twenty years, mm-hmm. and the fact that it has uh, the things on the side that alert you to mm. something's in your blind <laughs> spot. <laughs> oh my god! You know yeah. most people take that for granted. News cars. <laughs> that is the greatest thing ever. Wow. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I, I appreciate a 
you know the the podcast it's yeah. absolutely amazing the breadth of people that we just don't realize are here yeah. and yeah. have yeah. fascinating interesting lives yeah. and that's really yeah. really cool yeah well thank you so much for yeah. joining us it's been a real pleasure thanks for joining us on this episode stick around next week and see what we talk about on the bandit room Bandit Room is a production of Span Enterprises, located in sunny Rock Hill, South Carolina. We've been developing, supporting, and growing successful IRS e-filing and business management solutions since 2010. Go to SpanEnterprises.com now to learn more. The views and opinions expressed in the Bandit Room are those of the guests, and do not necessarily reflect or state the opinions of Span Enterprises. No information should be considered as tax, legal, or other professional advice.